Then let's forget what we should have done earlier and continue with what we should do now. Hey there, folks. I'm Phil. And I'm Kyle. And we are the Unsociablists. Today we're going to be talking a little bit, we're following up on our previous Maslow's Hierarchy episode. Um, Not to say that these are strictly one right above the other, because obviously physiological needs are important, but so are psychological needs. While none of these are necessarily going to prevent you from breathing, they still are uh, necessary for being a person. And uh, we're going to kind of address how uh, a soul-crushing capitalist society actively inhibits your ability to uh, have those needs met. Just like as we did with the last episode, but the difference being, instead of not breathing, you'll just want to not breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good work on this. A lot of uh, like Marxist theorists in the past have been uh, psychologists. I'm thinking specifically of Fanon, um, and his big work is uh, if you want to go and look him up, there's Wretched of the Earth, uh, which is very good and about um, kind of the the revolutionary mind and his uh experience with in particular like algerian revolutionaries but he's also done things like black skin white masks he's taken a really deep look and a really interesting look at how capitalism forces following this thing up masks onto people but also how it kind of forces a specific social relation on people and there are there are other psychologists that do a similar similar treatment but Fanon is the one that comes to my mind right now and I don't have as much of a book oriented uh, approach to this but I've just seen and witnessed in my personal life how uh, easy it is to toss aside you know the mental well-being of a person in the in the name of a profit and it's kind of sickening but you know that's uh that's most of the capitalist agenda to be fair yeah doesn't exactly uh lend itself to compassion i mean i as someone who works overnights it's uh it's very prevalent in uh, my grouping of people that it's almost impossible for any of us to have normal social lives outside of that and uh a lot of workplaces i think encourage that you know don't worry about a social life the work life is all you need right it's that rise and grind shit but it's everywhere i mean and it's just like those workplaces that try to actually turn into your social life too there's those places where it's like oh yeah after work we're all gonna go get a drink and then we're all gonna have this work event and just hey be at the workplace uh you know 90 hours a week in theory in essence oh my god like in some of those things that are like mandatory hate it i already found the people i work with that i like i will hang out with them please leave me alone (laughs) yeah makes sense it's important in society if we ever want to actually have you know consistent happiness and people who you know, have a will to live that we uh, address these issues and reevaluate what it means to be a uh, member of society. Yeah. Well, we're talking about psychological needs in the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Part of that is that our psychology demands we know where our place is in the world. And capitalism, like the divine right of kings, seems to be inescapable. But that's not always the case. We can't believe in a world that is eternal. We have to believe in a world that changes. It's one of the very few things that keeps me from feeling horrible all the time is to know that this has not always been the case, that this is not the end of history like Francis Fukuyama says. This is just one more step, hopefully one that we we don't stumble and fall and 
to our death during along the history of humanity. Whereas the divine right of kings what seemed inescapable and capitalism also seems inescapable, that's not going to be the case. If we if we recognize the problems inherent in capitalism and we recognize that we can change things. Yeah, and I think one of the first steps to that is to uh, start banding together as actual groupings of people and not and not stay so atomized, which is exactly what the capitalist, our capitalist overlords w- would love. Absolutely. And that's a good segue. I'm wondering, as a, as a hypothetical, like, what do you think the world would be like if... So let's take a Eurocentric view, because that's where my history growing up mostly was. The end of feudalism obviously existed with, like, lords and serfs. The feudal system in, 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 in Europe, the serfs were constantly working together. There was still a community there. I wonder what life would have been like had they been as separate and completely isolated from each other as we are in capitalism. I mean, it's always tough to, you know, draw this stuff out, but I don't, I mean, I think that for one, uh, technology wouldn't have come as far because we would have just kept plowing the lands because we wouldn't have had the wherewithal to actually start looking for other solutions. I know that really the change came, the revolutionary class, as Marx defined it, was the burghers, like the bourgeoisie, but the mode of production of feudalism transitioning into capital, well, this version, the early versions of capitalism, it was the burghers who were the uh, revolutionary class. And I wonder, they were capable of moving into this new mode and taking on the old mode uh, because they were able to not only accumulate but also band together as a class. And that's something that this version of capitalism that we live in right now, this neoliberal, this hyper-liberal version of it, ensures that we can't really do. We can't really band together as a class. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, they keep us separated both from uh, workplace policies that like actively penalize talking to anyone else on the, on the uh, floor. They keep us separated by uh, making communication generally frowned upon outside the workplace by uh, using, using tactics like, oh, just watch the news. We're going to tell you everything you need to know. Sit at home in front of your TV. Don't actually go out into the world and witness things. And I mean, they make going out into the world as uncomfortable as possible, especially, and that's being extra put upon by, you know, climate change, which has, you know, made the world a physically uncomfortable place in addition to a socially uncomfortable one. As well as, I mean, can you think of a more isolating event than this recent pandemic? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and isn't it hilarious that during this pandemic, every, there's suicides are way up, all this uh, all, um, depression is way up, and of course, billionaire net worth is way up. Interesting that. <laughs> way up. I can't think of a better, uh, specifically for Bezos and for, well, whoever now is in charge of Amazon, who is definitely not Bezos, specifically for Amazon, like, this is the best thing that could happen. Just like, uh, what's her dick? Anita Dunn said earlier that the the pandemic was the best thing that happened for Biden. Oh, I mean, yeah, Biden couldn't, Biden would have been owned by Trump if it hadn't been for the pandemic starting. He barely squeaked through with a pandemic and a, an economy where upwards of 15% people are unemployed. No, Biden had all the, everything come together for him, and that's the only reason we have his version of fascism instead. Yay! Yay! Real quick, though, uh, you, you mentioned Bezos, and uh, I actually heard a really good Bezos joke recently. Do you know why Bezos had to get a divorce? Why? He realized marriage was a union. <laughs> that's, that's fucking great. <laughs> that's fucking great. Where did you hear that? Is that a real Reddit. thing? Nice. On the on the, on one of the few actually good subreddits left out there. Right, there are like four. 
everyone else is like, suck Biden's dick or get banned. Our politics. Only about domestic politics. We don't talk about United States bombing places because that's not United States politics. That's great. Yeah, that that our politics started banning posts about uh, Biden bombing Syria because it's not U.S. related. Don't worry about it. I hate everything. So, I mean, that's, that's just it. Like, even even the few areas of outlet we have, the few kind of, quote-unquote, connective things we have in this day and age, which is like social media, mm-hmm. it's it because it's uh, owned by corporations, it spreads a viewpoint that uh, actively discourages, you know, banding together and changing things. Yeah, they, the promise of the internet back when it became, you know, pretty universally accessible. Yeah, the, like, late like 90s. Pretty well accessible. Yeah, late 90s, early aughts. Like, people... We're like, yes, this is going to revolutionize the way we talk to each other. It's going to mean that you can talk to your grandma on the other side of the country instead of using long-distance phone calls. It's going to make everything so much better for organizing, for creating a community, and none of that is No, no, real. it said it's about your, it's a great place for your grandma to post something racist on Facebook, and then you're like, well, I don't want to talk to her anymore. Huh. And that just acti- it actively builds up walls instead of tearing them down. Yeah, it's a great void in which to shout. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of awful that because of capitalism, social relationships that existed before have basically been disintegrated. In the, again, in the name of uh, a little more profit for a very small mar- margin of people. Right. As of this point, capitalism is all but ubiquitous. It's all over the uh, all over the world, which no no system prior to that ever was. You know, maybe primitive communism. But that was back when humans were pretty much cordoned off into a pretty specific and precarious place. But, you know, even the most recent kinds of uh, modes of production, where once it it takes a village to raise a child was more than a saying. Now we just exist in these small units that are specialized in reproducing a way of life that forces every new generation into isolating and alienating functions of capitalist production. That's... All that we do now is reproduce the ability of capital to continue in its accumulation. Whereas before, you actually had a community that would take the next generation and, yes, they'd be recreating a system that they live in. They'd be creating an ideology that was based around becoming part and advancing the, the, the needs of the community. You know, you may run into precarity every once in a while, but it wouldn't be man-made so much. Now we 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 devote our lives to creating man-made precarity and man-made scarcity. Well, I mean, people could if you. I mean, the argument might come up like, oh, well, maybe it's not capitalism's fault. Maybe it's just all this modern stuff. That's the problem: is all this modern technology. But if you look at the ten happiest countries in the world, only two of them are capitalist countries, and both of them have a minimum wage over fifteen dollars an hour. And a, and an hour and a work week that's less than forty hours. Well, we should say that I I may disagree with that. Some of those countries are actually they're social democracies, which is still yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, very, okay, they're still technically capitalist in a lot of ways, yeah. but they're capitalist in a way where it's a less than. I mean, it's still not the same brand of capitalism we have like here in America or over in Europe or over in uh, the UK, where it's work your forty hours for garbage wages. And I mean, they're happier countries because again, even in, even though they're capitalist, they still also encourage socialization among you know fellow people. Right. This the, yes, that's actually a really good point. Is that Despite their allegiance to a capitalist accumulation, there's still an acknowledgement that a community and a, a welfare state for to serve that community matters. 
Mm-hmm. I, I mean, at the end of the day, it, you can't help but look at the fact that the more wealth and greed are the fact facets of a quote unquote happiness described by a country, the less happy that country is. The Adventures of Zorzan and Aglab, Episode 11, Lending a Helping Tentacle. Hey, Aglab, have you seen this statistic? It seems the people of Earth are incredibly lonely, with countries that distribute resources through capitalist profit motives being the worst off. Oh my, that is troubling. Why, it appears that in America, three in five people are reportedly lonely. I honestly cannot fathom how that occurs. Shouldn't the lonely people support each other so they don't feel lonely anymore? I actually think I've got an answer for that. Apparently, in societies like America and Great Britain, people collaborating is actively discouraged. The people in those societies who have the most money, which seems to be synonymous with numerically measured power in their language, create conditions where their subjects and underlings can be punished for banding together. Goodness, that sounds deplorable. Union busting. Correct me if I'm wrong. But those words in that combination imply that literally breaking apart unity is a desirable outcome. How do the people living in these conditions reconcile this hypocrisy? It doesn't look like they've got a choice. Apparently, on their planet, being malcontent directly leads to the loss of their labor position. And without toiling, they will not have the exchangeable currency they require to live. They will be houseless and starve to death. Why, friend Zorzan, that is dreadful! I'm seeing this unenviable position would further exacerbate the loneliness, in fact. Apparently, human media tends to both subliminally and explicitly discourage any interaction with fellow humans who are houseless. Surely there must be something that can be done. Can't we share the secrets for healthy communities with them? Bad idea, buddy. In nearly all of their speculative media, the response to life arriving from another planet is immediately met with hostility. I'd rather not get ripped tendril from tendril. Perhaps that is why they are so lonely. Hatred for others who have never wronged them seems to be ingrained into the ideals of their societies. Why, religious and political leaders have found many ways to draw lines between them with no sensible reasoning whatsoever. And the exclusionary nature of these teachings seems to source back to this money. Apparently, if someone with millions of times more money tells someone with very little money that someone who has even less money is the problem, They are believed nearly unconditionally. It seems like a really messed up system. This makes me very grateful to live on good old Urko. It seems that providing an atmosphere where loving each other is beneficial rather than costly makes loads of difference. Thank goodness I'm not one of these Earthlings. I can't imagine living in a society that would leave me feeling so alienated. Tune in next week for more exciting adventures of Zorzan and Aglob. One thing I do want to bring up is the idea that uh, socializing is important, and one of the key social rules, especially here in America, is don't talk politics. Like it, One of the core things, if you want to have friends and family stick around you, is make sure you don't go influencing anyone's beliefs or changing the way they think of the world. Our, our very social structure uh, argues against the idea that we should be informing anyone. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's 
incredibly important to reproducing the capitalist mode of production is to ensure that nobody really it's it's that um so ursula k Le Guin, um i think she quoted somebody else but this may be hers we live in capitalism its power seems inescapable but then so did the divine right of kings any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings so it's 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 that recognition that you could change this but capitalism and of course like the divine right of kings it wants to reproduce the ideology uh within it right so it's trying to make it so that you can you accept this what is ideology other than a, a, an accepted way of how the world works right a way that you you, you filter information through to see the world make sense and the way that so many of the people that we know especially like me my my dad is fucking college educated my family's mostly college educated and all that college does is it gives you a little piece of paper sometimes you learn something and it reproduces ideology and so when you try to confront the existence of that ideology one that uh, bases itself on not being considered an ideology, one that bases itself on being common sense or belief in the way things are. Yeah, you're you're you are reacted to almost violently. You're trying to take away from these people their psychological uh, attachment to capitalism. That shit's made that way because it it doesn't want any conflicts against it it doesn't want to be challenged i mean i know at least my workplace and i'm sure there are several where you can actually get in trouble for speaking espousing the wrong political ideals yeah um, fortunately i work overnight so i don't you know i can usually say what i want because no one on the night crew cares but you know it's uh it's definitely a thing where like the, the day people at my work aren't allowed to hate on biden because biden is our union's guy you know, today it seems so horrible and it seems so isolating, this, this system that we live under. I'm not saying that the social relationship of Lord and Surf was great or anything. It's not to say that social relationships were great and perfect pre under pre-capitalist systems. But that kind of leads into the next point, that under previous systems, the purpose for being was way more central and more important and more easily discernible than it is under capitalism under as a cog an individual atomized under capitalism because in capitalism the bottom line is just to accumulate there's no other goal that supersedes it there is nothing that is sacred that it, that accumulation doesn't step on it doesn't care about your families or your friends or your loved ones it's it, all social relations that accept the goal to work towards accumulation are free to stick around any that slow the rate of profit, any that stop or challenge violent accumulation are just removed. I mean, it, that's true even in quote-unquote unionized environments where the whole point is that we're supposed to communicate about better conditions, better wages, better you know, better gen general living. But uh, you're, the way you're supposed to do that is by going through a centralized and quite frankly, capitalist controlled union in a lot of cases, you know, where I mean, like, I, I don't know about all you I mean, there are a lot of good unions out there. And I'd rather have a union than no union. But it doesn't change the fact that our specific union has a uh, multimillionaire running the show. And I don't think he has the interests of the common man at, at, at heart. But if you actually go through that, your fellow people at work, that's breaking union code. If you actually like try to start a revolution from the ground level. <laughs> yeah, you can't. They don't allow you to step 
on their toes from the bottom, right? And that's where they keep you at the bottom to step on their toes. It's the only thing you really can do because they're, especially in these kind of corporate captured unions, which I think are most American unions is this time, you know, the AFL-CIO is essentially just like, it's a CAA kind of pro-CIA, pro-American union. You know, I walk by the IBEW local nearby me and there's a giant Biden sign, like literally giant, like still up and it's like 20 feet tall. So we know that at least the leadership isn't necessarily talking to the the rank and file because I don't think most of the electricians here in Philly are maybe they are political but you know the people that I've met have either been like who gives a shit or no I don't like Biden but that's not the point because these are still hierarchical systems that serve ultimately accumulation ultimately serve the interests of personal profit private profit and, and that's just what it is. I mean, the whole thing about destroying the smaller community is if we keep if, if, if you keep the little guy oppressed and feeling worthless, then he won't ask for more and we can generate wealth where it actually generates the fastest, which is at that high echelon. If you keep if we keep supporting the wealth of billionaires and that number goes up faster, if, regardless of what that number actually me, if that number actually means anything, you know. But uh, meanwhile, yeah, if you keep your lower classes feeling downtrodden, then it lowers the chance that they'll actually want to uh, or actually have the motivation to worry about changing anything. Of course, workplace uh, environments aren't the only places where we need to worry about building tribes. You know, it just in general is important to have people around you because if you don't have a general support system, an idea, uh, an idea that you're worth something, then you as a person will suffer in terms of uh, will to live, in terms of ability to do anything with your life depression depression exists uh i mean depression exists partially as a chemical thing that is something that people have but a lot of depression in this day and age is caused just because people feel so isolated and so lonely and so generally miserable because you know love is always conditional in a capitalist system yeah i mean so many of the intimate relationships that we you know intimate relationships have existed obviously since the dawn of human creation i don't know since we've been around like even pre-homo sapien uh cultures right have seemed to have had some kind of if not monogamous but kind of like loving uh relationships yeah well and i mean not even just like physical uh the uh intimate like romantic capacity like f familial intimacy uh friendship intimacy you know those those relationships uh are have been you know deconstructed in a society where it's got to be all about that grind it's all about that grind you sacrifice you know if you're lucky you only sacrifice 40 hours a week that you could be you know spending with your loved ones or spending even if you're only doing 35 hours a week like that's you know that's i mean that's still about to, a fifth of your week my my fiance and i like never get to hang out anymore like because she started up a new job and she needed to start up a new job because part of what this country does is force people to uh, tie their self-worth and in, to to their work and because of the pandemic well we don't have opera anymore so she can't do that so she had to find a new gig that has changed her hours significantly so we don't get to spend like our weekends together anymore we don't really get to spend too much time uh in the evenings together anymore because she'll close some nights um and th that's what it kind of does it splits up these families it splits up these units that you know would normally we'd all be working like say 
primitive communist days. We all live in a cave and we all live around the same fire and we all, you know, we split up every once in a while. She'll go hunt and she'll go gather. I'll go hunt. I'd be fucking dead in a minute. Jesus Christ. Well, I, mean, I, 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 I think that a good solid 90 percentage of people would not survive in. I don't think I'd live in primitive communist society. Well, you know, I'd probably be pretty happy for the, like the five years that I was alive. But beyond that, <laughs> if I made it to five, I think that I could do that. I can count on five years. I was a pretty robust child. I could do that. Fair enough. But, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I've grown not only reliant, but also to quite enjoy having modern conveniences and modern technology. Do you like them? Oh. I, I do wish that those things didn't have to come with the burden of, you know, a, an evil society backing them up and enforcing those uh, conditions. Nice if this wasn't a... Uh... A world that required you to sacrifice, sell your labor in order to survive. Because, like, these intimate relationships not only are, like, we've talked, especially, I think, in the, the pandemic. This came up a lot earlier when people were still really interested in quarantining and being, you know, the, the left and the liberals were pretty hard on the, the quarantine stuff, you know, where they were trying to... Yeah, if we Not, just you know, some of us were guilting each other, but you know, everybody was staying home for the most part. Mm -hmm. And one of those things that came up was that similar to how a lot of times women who are in an abusive relationship or men that are in an abusive relationship will stay because they can't afford to find an apartment without somebody to help pay the rent. They mm -hmm. can't afford to uh, you know, live in a capitalist society when only one job will pay, you know, will pay a living wa wage for two people and the other person's like struggling to make ends meet doing Uber shit. So you sacrifice a real intimate relationship with somebody who may be abusing you or hate hating you because you need to re you need to live and your living is still tied to how much you can help your boss accumulate. Yeah, and uh, these yeah these uh, conditions set it up where there's a uh, like you said no escape on the basis that if any escape would be uh, halted by starvation and houselessness. Um, right. I mean, and it's I mean it's uh, equally shitty because uh, the way that you uh, even if you have the means to live um, in this in this day and age, those means uh, don't afford you the ability to go socialize, both because of a pandemic that's still very active, but also even outside of that. It, nowadays, it's you're considered non-pragmatic or even sometimes a downright idiotic if you don't you know do your business on, mostly online. Just don't worry about interacting with people. That's that's an outdated mode. Yeah, the the hyper liberalization, but also the extreme alienation that accompanies not just capitalism and not just right now where it's at just breakneck speeds of capitalism but there is something to say about how technology hasn't exactly helped us become more fulfilled absolutely it's probably a function of who's using the technology and what power is exerted during it but as of right now, I can understand people who are like, you know, delete Twitter because otherwise you're going to go insane. And I, I did delete Twitter, and I'm still going insane, but maybe at less of a of a pace. And see, I, uh, I, I have a habit of going out of my way to punish myself by looking at the dregs of Reddit, by which I mean the front page and the main <laughs> forefront of it. <laughs> Literally just the first thing. Yeah. Um, 
it's i mean and part of that is like a soon soon know your enemy you know kind of thing yeah. you know I, I need to see exactly how these uh I mean, I I, I, I want to believe that it's just a bunch of bots talking to each other, but I have enough evidence to believe now that there's actually just people out there who think, oh, well, Blue, Ma- Blue Mega is uh, absolutely perfect. Yep. I don't know. It's an, imp- it's an impulsive need to filter uh, all of our idealizations and all of our relationships through this uh, porthole of technology rather than actually just getting to know each other. Yeah, we never get to know each other anymore. And that's part of one of the... Uh... Like, even those kind of parasocial relationships that you make online with people you either hate or people that you like. Because, I I mean, like, I'm in a Discord community and I talk to those folks, but I never see them, right? As much as it's a psychological need, these are connected to those physiological needs that we talked about in the earlier episode, right? Yeah. Whereas seeing a person, uh, knowing that they're in your presence is... It, it it creates a physiological response. Yeah, there's actual chemicals in the body that are released when you have these physical moments of uh, intimacy. Not necessarily, not necessarily like sexual intimacy, but just like physically being in proximity to and touching people. You know, right? Even not touching people, just being in proximity. Yeah, just well, yeah. That's still yeah. That's it. Still creates some of those uh, some of those oxytocin and other releases uh, in the body. You know. And I'm even thinking, like, when I get angry. Dopamine. When I get angry at somebody online, it's kind of like a sim, like almost a shade of what I would be angry at them if I met them in real life, right? Like, if I met these people in real life, I could be actually angry. And that's basically like this simulation of anger that I'm going through. It kind of, I feel like it deadens a lot of the actual feelings that you would normally have. It, 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 It takes away some of the actual. I don't know, the push, the feelings that you're alive and and that maybe there's there's some kind of, I don't know, meaning to these emotions. I get that. And it's kind of the same thing as uh, like in uh, I, I play I play more than my fair share of video games. And uh, but in video games, TV, any kind of media like that, when you grow attached to a character and then like they die or something like that, it creates this artificial dopamine hit and uh, it it, uh, it actively reduces your ability to connect with real life dopamine. Like, I mean, I'm death. I'm 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 so over death. Like, if if someone dies who's close to me, I'm just like, eh, that sucks. That's about like I've I I don't know. I mean, to be fair, I was always like that. Even when I was a young kid, I was very detached, or not even detached from death, just pragmatic about it in a way that's maybe not healthy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I think that I've learned a lot actually from from your specifically when we were talking about death back like years ago when we were talking about like like optimistic nihilism about death when it comes to accepting that you know that that shit goes that shit happens well and not just that my my whole thing is you know if there's one person who really couldn't care less whether you were sorrowful or happy or anything it's the dead person yeah seriously but you know it doesn't matter if those dead people feel good or bad about it you know we're going to commodify even their death it's abysmal that yeah, if you lose a loved one, regardless of uh, their connection with you, if they're if they're close enough to your c- circle, your immediate bubble, then losing that loved one, in addition to being a toll on your emotions, assuming that you're not kind of psychopathic, like I, I contend to be about death. Um, I think you're t- sociopathic. Sociopathic. You're right. Word. There is a difference. <laughs> and I don't want to say, oh, I'm a sociopath because that's like quirky. That's like, oh, look how quirky I am. You know, this oh, day yes, and age. I'm so nerdy. I don't believe in human emotion. Yeah. No, no I see. Not. I don't want to come across like that. It's just, I don't have those feelings for whatever reason. 
But anyways, even if for most people, when those feelings hit you, in addition to that, suddenly you're burdened with a massive bill. Yeah. Because capitalism must make a profit off of everything, including the suffering of, including the active suffering of uh, people who just ha- had her, uh, a serious hurting, uh, hurtful loss in their life. Yeah. Back in the day, and back in the day, I mean like way back in the day, uh, when when somebody passed away, it was the 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 responsibility of everyone in the unit, everyone in the tribe or village to help not just the immediate family, but the whole of the the family. Everybody was there to help bury, to help say goodbye to the physical form of the loved one who'd passed away. And now it's entirely placed on next of kin. It's entirely a business transaction. It's about figuring out where the estate goes. It's about figuring out where all of the uh you know capital that is remaining from this person's life, which has been in service to capital accumulation, whether they could personally benefit or not, essentially disperse all of that shit that it's been collecting for their their capitalist overlords. Unfortunately, even like for the less affected, for those who are just like friends of the family, for those outside the immediate unit, there's still an impact in the sense that they need to, you know, assuming that you actually want to hold a funeral and all that stuff, you know, if in, in remembrance of them, people need to, you know, uh, find ways to transport themselves there. They need to uh, miss hours of work that, of course, are hardly ever paid, in, in <sighs> at least in America. Yeah. I mean, it's despicable because it's like, oh, you lost a loved one? Well, let's punish you for that. You lost a loved one. You have two days to figure out how much you're going to pay for this. But yeah, it's there's no uh, there's no relationship, even in death, that is that is sacred to capitalism. We now return to Capital F. Ashes to ashes, and dust to dust. And with that, I've done all the officiating I've been paid for. The boy's family wanted to share some work. Thank you all so much for coming. Losing Robbie has been very hard on all of us. Every day there's something extra we need to pay for. I just wish that there was something we could have done to prevent his air bubble from failing. I mean, we could have paid the bill, or the government could have provided free, breathable air, but now's not the time to cast blame! If there's one thing I know about my little Robbie, it's that he wouldn't want us to do something irrational, like blame this on capitalism. You've all been so kind these last few days, even going so far as to offer small discounts on your appearance fees for being here. I know this is a time you could be working. I want the takeaway from little Robbie's passing to be that we should all be grateful for the life we've got, no matter how awful it gets. Oh, that was beautiful, honey. Now, I know if my little Anna was here, she'd have some truly touching words to share. However, she's doing something far more important. Fighting evil and saving democracy in socialist Sweden. While Robbie will be missed, he never did nearly as much as his sister to uphold the American way, so... If I had to lose one of them, well... Anyway, Robbie's death isn't the only news in our lives. We've got our new baby Theodore. We're hoping to raise him to be the kind of son who isn't afraid to do some backbreaking labor to help pay for his own heir. Of course, 
don't get me wrong, I loved Robbie, but it would have been nice for him to leave some savings behind to pay for his coffin, at least. <laughs> then maybe we could have sprung for something nicer than plywood. Really, the amount this boy's cost us just to send him off with a modicum of dignity is downright ridiculous. If I could turn back time... Huh, I would have filed for a permit to just chuck him in a hole in our backyard. <laughs> anyway, seeing as I'm paying you each by the minute to keep you here, that's all I care to say. Bye, everyone. There are Uber drivers waiting for you chained to their vehicles. Thanks so much for calling, Anna. It was as beautiful a ceremony as we could have hoped for, considering we only spent Robbie's college savings on it. How is fighting socialist terrorists going? I don't know. The more time I'm over here, the more I think Robbie had a point. <gasps> Did you know here in Sweden the air is just breathable? Like, no bubble needed. Now, Anna, I know losing your brother is hard, but be reasonable. If Sweden's so great, how come there's not a single billionaire living there? Of course, you're right, Mom. I I'm sorry, I was just thinking about how the last thing I said to Robbie was... I'm gonna be the favorite forever after I get back from my tour of duty. <laughs> and the worst part is, now that you guys have a new baby, that might not even be true. Oh, sweetie, we promise as long as you keep bringing in more income, you'll always be our most precious angel. Aww. Thanks, Mom. I feel a lot better now. Anyway, I I've got to go. We're killing a leader elected by a wide majority of the citizens today. As they told us in school, death is always going to be necessary for democracy. I mean, outside of just commodifying, you know, the death of people, commodifying the, uh, that part of their life, there's a commodification in terms of, you know, the life cycle as well. I mean, if for, for one, like, say... You're trying to maintain friendships, especially in this day and age. There's some product out there, whether it be Discord or uh, Skype or whatever you're using to try to stay in touch nowadays, that is making at least ad revenue off of you, if nothing else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The Even those parasocial relationships that are only like, you know, they aren't as fulfilling as a real, like, in-person conversation or relationship, they're going to try and commodify that as well. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate that staying in touch or just generally having people in your life costs money in this day and age, and it especially tears down your ability to feel like a healthy and whole person. It's, you know, it kind of undermines one's self-worth when it's measured in dollars and cents rather than your own s sense of self. Right, especially in this kind of, like, like what makes a good person? In, in the society that we have right now. Like a good person is somebody who maybe you think, I'm even being charitable. I'm thinking like somebody who provides for their family, somebody who creates enough value that they can take back whatever is left to their home to keep their family alive, right? It's still these kind of commodified relationships. It's still this kind of commodification of your self-worth that exists. You can't feel like a like a good person separate from capitalism not in this system at least yeah as it stands if you want to be considered a wholesome person for example if if something arises that suddenly will cause will, will uh, cause you to go broke if you can't step up and pick up a second job or something like that you have to be ready to sacrifice social relationships and you know generally a sense of yourself in the name of making enough money to make ends meet I've been kind of, I've been pretty lucky, I think, recently in that, you know, I have to, 
I'm on the train and I'm walking to the, to and from the train for about three hours, a little less than three hours a day uh, to get to work. So my commute ends up meaning that I have a lot of free time, free time being that I'm commuting to kind of focus on reading, which has been like one of the things that I felt like is going to make me feel like a better person and feel more accomplished, feel more like me. But like, that's not always the case. When I was driving to work, I couldn't fucking do that. I couldn't do the things to uh, make me feel like I was improving as an as a person. Not that you have to do that. Like, not that I'm I'm trying. I don't believe in that rise and grind bullshit. But like, I know that it helps me feel better as a person to be putting more effort into trying to you know make myself feel better. Maybe a little bit more. Uh, informed in some ways maybe I'm reading a fiction book that just like makes me feel like I, I I'm taking in some information that in, I, I find enjoyable but you don't get to do that in most of the, these kinds of situations you don't get to feel you're not allowed to feel uh what do you call it? not self-actualized but you're not allowed to to work on yourself in capitalism because most of the time you're working on for somebody else you're working for somebody who is controlling your time and who is essentially demanding that you sacrifice those self-improvement uh opportunities for to create more capital to to accumulate yet more capital and i mean for people like me i'm extremely apathetic and uh, as the name of this podcast might indicate uh extremely unsociable generally speaking but i don't know i mean i've thought like if I had unlimited time and didn't have to worry about resources, there's a part of me that's always thought, you know, it might be fun to run for office, but that's not a feasible dream for one of my current fiscal, you know, standing. Yeah. How are you ever going to afford that? Nowadays, it's only millionaires that, well, nowadays I say that like it hasn't always been the case, but the rich are the ones who get to run. And even when a poor person does run, it, like they ha they can try to run a great social media campaign, whatever like that. But for every AOC, there's 99 not AOCs. Right. And even AOC, like I I'm thinking more Cory Bush, you know, somebody who. Oh, was, yeah. Cor yeah. Who was Cory Bush is a great example. Recent, as recently as what, 20, 2013? Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on that. I'll need to look that up. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Who was very, who was houseless within the last decade. Right. Somebody who is actually coming from a very kind of like shitty position, shitty economic position. You know, those, those folks, they don't really get to the heights of bourgeois democracy usually like, like Cory Bush. Oh, she's, a, she's definitely an astronomical case. And, uh, and then of course, even when those cases happen, the, the news uh, spreads a certain version of events so that people like my father are like, well, look at that evil Cory Bush woman trying to undermine the proud Clay family. Mm-hmm. 50 years of the Clays running the Democratic political machine in St. Louis, and we've done a whole fuck lot since 1970. It's that mentality. It was exactly a mentality of, well, it's racist in a way because she's going to lose for sure, and then we won't have a black person in office there anymore. Why would she? I don't testings. understand that idea. Like, obviously she'd win. She's super popular in St. Louis. Like, Lacey Clay didn't win because of people like your father. <laughs> Yeah, well, doesn't your dad live in the county anyway? What the fuck? Yeah, he he. Well, I mean, he's always been a bit self defeating. But I mean, it's funny because he's still more left than a lot of people I know. But he's just so blinded by what CNN tells him that uh, it's impossible to have a conversation with him that doesn't devolve into. Well, you sound like a Q and I. The, the yeah. Biden centric news media says this. Yeah, this that's what I'm not. I've been not looking forward to this. My brother, who is, uh, you know. He's been not the youngest brother, the middle brother, who is the ideologue. He he's he's an ideologue. He 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 got up 
set and was trying to defend the kids in cages shit that's been going around and i was like oh nope nope we're not i'm not talking about concentration camps i'm not going to negotiate that position on concentration camps oh my father my father made the comment that uh well you know the cages are at least a lot nicer now that's the exact thing he said i'm like he opened a new thing they're still doing the same contracts with private prisons like the 700 so he links this fucking opinion page thing from washington post and it's like oh it costs up to 775 dollars a day to house these kids now and i'm like that was what it was with geo group and that was a 2019 story like that was a trump era story that was like this is 750 bucks a, a day and you know why it's because they're gouging the shit out of the government it has nothing to do with giving them adequate or good facilities Oh, I mean, it's just like private prisons, you know, same same deal. That's it uh, is they're the most, most yeah. abhorrent conditions possible, but somehow they cost more to run than a regular prison. Yeah, because you can always slice shit off the top, and they're just slicing about seven hundred dollars off the top. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, and it's all about that narrative, though, because I mean, on the front page of Reddit, I actually saw a post earlier today, which is like, well, you know how Republicans are suddenly all salty about the kids in cages when they didn't care before? It's because the how the cages are better conditions than their houses, and then they show like it's a side by side of the cages and then a trailer park, and then it's Why like so you're, wow, no, the narrative is we're gonna laugh at poor people because there's that is poorer people. <laughs> yeah, God, that fucking drives me insane to think that they're like, oh, poor people, yuck, yuck, yuck. You live in a trailer park, go fuck yourself. But if you're laughing at poor Republicans, then that's just a good liberal. Yeah, that's uh, fine. You're, you're you're one of the good guys because it's yeah, Republicans. Never mind. I forgot that it, because it's red team, it's bad. <sighs> no, I mean, uh, and that could just go back to the self esteem, self worth. You know, we're it is okay in this society to make someone feel bad about themselves based on their actual net worth. Yeah, and by by extension, you make yourself feel good because you're comparing yourself to somebody who's in tough fucking circumstances. Yeah, I mean, schadenfreude is encouraged in this society because it creates, it ultimately generates a net positive in misery. And billionaires love misery. I mean, go, I'll take it a step further. Billionaires love suicide. Suicides are profitable for a very small percent of people. Expand on that. I, well, I think uh, it sounds perfectly correct because of how much they take advantage of our misery. And I suppose that the extent of that, the final form of that is suicide. Yeah, I mean, well, what it comes down to is this: it's one. Usually, someone who commits suicide is generally more more often than not, what, what uh, not someone I'd say is particularly well to do. And even in the cases where they are, they're not. Uh, that money is not circulating the way it's supposed to to help capitalism. Usually, I mean, occasionally there's the retail therapy people, but you know, that's uh, few and far between. Most suicides are people who, at the end of the day, weren't contributing as much to capitalist structure. They're less productive at work. They're less. Uh, able to focus their income on uh, streams that generate more revenue for businesses and then when they when they kill themselves not only does it take away a less productive member of society requiring uh, upping the statistics for how good things look for you know the number of living people left oh look we have suddenly a better ratio of food to people so we can exp uh, exploit just that little percent more additionally it, it creates a whole another set of revenue because there's just like we talked about the expense of dying yeah you know, what you said just now kind of reminded me of what Rahm Emanuel said uh, a couple of months back. Or not Rahm Emanuel, his brother. Um, where he was like, yeah, you should only be – people should only be allowed to live up to, like, the age of 70 because afterwards they don't contribute 
is what oh, he yeah, said. Oh, yeah, I've heard about, yeah, Rahm Emanuel's voluntary eugenics programs. Right, yeah, it's basically, yeah, voluntary eugenics, as in, well, I can no longer contribute to my capitalist overlord, who is himself pushing 100 years old, but uh, I guess that I'm worthless now, so I'll go fucking die. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly it. Like, suicidal people are generally less conducive to uh, contributing to the capitalist overlords as well. So when they finally do commit suicide, it's like, good, one more out of the way. I mean, you're wrong. I, I would never knock anyone who commits suicide or has those, especially, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, no, I I mean, knock him or not, at that point, they don't care. But, right. uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I understand the impulse. I really do, you know. But mm-hmm. it's, it, it, at the end of the day, all the only person winning there is the capitalist overlord who could care less about whether you lived or died in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not exactly going to hurt them. And, and I guess the only the, the the only way a suicide is actually somehow hurtful to this capitalist society is like the monks lighting themselves on fire examples. You know, the ones the big spectacle suicides. But even then, they get washed swept under the rug within days. Right. We still went to war after the self-immolating, the very famous one where the Buddhist monk would burn himself outside in the that very famous pic- black and white picture from Vietnam. That was, I think, like late 50s. So we still went to war after that. And it didn't yeah. stop the war when it happened. It was incredibly brave, and it was obviously a gut-wrenching thing that maybe spurred a lot of people into the anti-war movement. But the anti-war movement was mostly... Uh, just trying to keep middle class guys from getting drafted, and then once they got rid of the draft, the war kept not that war, but other wars kept chugging on. Speaking of war and yeah, its popularity in the richer classes, uh, hatred is exactly what they want to sell us. If we hate each other, then that's that generates more revenue streams. They don't want us. They, they don't want us to have be building up a self esteem for others. They don't want us to be loving each other. You know, love thy neighbor as love thyself. That's right. preached, but not actually, but discouraged from being practiced. Yeah, and we share things with the people we love. The people we don't love, the people we hide things from, that we keep things from. We're going to have to. Each of us is going to have to buy a television rather than watch it together. Right. Each of us is going to have to buy cereal instead of share it. Each of our units, because we have become so subdivided, will also need to be a consumer unit. Yeah, well, that's going back to what we've talked about before, the uh, idea of library socialism, which I believe was, again, generated by the boys at Seriously Wrong. Listen to their podcast if you don't. Library socialism would not only encourage that sharing element, but actually make it so that rather than just buy, like we've heard about, but buying stuff online, you know, just that dissociative, you, your your uh, collection of things is, you know, doesn't require any socialization to acquire. There would be a social component to everything that you uh, went through to uh, live your life in an enjoyable way, right. which, which would again in bolster that enjoyment. Yeah, and it's, it you know, capitalism, for all its talk about creating efficiencies, creates more waste than any collective system, any system that recognizes that communities should work together and share. Well, I don't know. I mean, we've been pretty dry this episode, but uh, it's, it's I don't know, there's a lot of ranting to be done because at the end of the day, there is. Kyle and I, we're, we're, when Kyle and I talk like this, it's one of the only chances we get to actually uh, espouse these beliefs because you know the rule of, uh, you know the rule of the world and that's don't talk politics. Yeah. Stay away from politics and religion whenever you're at uh, your family functions. Not just family functions, at work, in social gatherings. Like, yeah. uh, can, can you imagine someone going into the club and talking politics? That would be, <laughs> yeah, a... It'd be a real downer, I feel like, for most people. It'd be <laughs> yeah. like, get the fuck away from me. 
I'm not yeah, buying say politics. Well, and politics is a depressing s- s- uh, is. discussion because is. of the world in the state that it's in. But the world also won't will keep getting more depressing because we don't have this discourse in the first place. Right. But that discourse is discouraged. We shouldn't be in the off chance you actually get the chance to interact with each other in a communal capacity. Right. Make sure you keep the discussion completely pointless so that you can all both have a good laugh about it and smile at the end of the day. Yeah. Talk about the latest Family Guy. Don't talk about how your boss cut your hours. Mm -hmm. And I mean, especially actually at work, going back to what I was saying earlier, we are not allowed to organize from the ground up. So, you know, even if we wanted to talk politics, it's, I mean, for for a while during the election, our work had a strict policy where you weren't allowed to say bad things about Biden or you could get a write-up. That's insane. I don't know. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's the problem with privately owned enterprises like that is they can make up whatever rules they want. And because it's private, it's just like how... Uh, our, during Christmas time, our, our store plays Christian Christmas music, and uh, it's like, yeah, no, they're privately owned. They can do that. Yeah, they can do that, despite the fact that they are a union. Union workers are in the business. There are plenty of people, especially like in St. Louis, people of uh, people of color, people of Bosnian descent who are not Christian, who should honestly nobody should have to listen to that shitty music but well yeah outside but i mean it's i mean and i'd have no problem with it if they also played other religious chris uh holiday themed musics but they certainly don't because the family is a christian family very christian so i mean but they obviously don't because the family that owns the business is a christian family (laughs) i'm gonna believe that there's a whole cliche of well don't bring up politics at the thanksgiving table because otherwise you'll have to hear hear your drunk uncle rant about how great trump was and how the world is going to hell now hell in a handbasket man and the funny we thing is I mean, to trump, or we gave it over to biden or we gave it over to trump doesn't matter one side of your family is going to be regurgitating the ideology that they've been taking because it's within the acceptable realm of speech like yeah. even when they talk about don't talk about politics at work or at family functions it's still always within the the frame of like are you clinton or bob dole like it's not about are oh, no, you yeah, nothing nothing further left nothing further left than joe biden exists don't worry about it he's a goddamn <laughs> communist well and then, yes. i mean or, or alternately <laughs> he's the savior who's going to fix everything because he's truly understands the common man right but there's no he's like if you if, if people like me actually talk politics which i sometimes may fall into i mean i say fall into the trap of but the discourse needs to happen but i talk politics with my family and all of a sudden it's it, it's uh I'm I'm being an insane pie in the sky, yep. uh, hateful. Per- and I mean, I've been, I've been called hateful and evil by my family yep. because I'm trying to preach the idea that maybe we should take away rich people's money. They yeah, earned that take, money, Kyle. They earned they it. Earned it. <laughs> yep, I have to believe that because otherwise, what what is, what is my worth if I don't believe in the system that exists? And a lot of people's lives, a lot of people's self esteem, a lot of people's self actualization is tied to this system and it's not gonna it's not just gonna change overnight but yeah you have to be able to talk to people about the the systems that are exploiting other people as even if they are the ones that maybe you've done well in and so you feel some kind of connection to yeah it's uh, unfortunate but these i mean and like i said these discourses need to happen but they're also actively punished by both the people who you have them with and the society that discourages them Red Scare Media. <clears throat> Red Scare. <clears throat> Red Scare. Red Scare Media presents If the Ruskies Had Won, Part 3, Friendship. Picture 
a horrible alternate history in which somehow the despicable United Soviet Socialist Republics had won the Cold War. Had this happened, their evil authoritarian governing system would ensure that they controlled everything from what you do to who you spend your time with. Had this horrid fate come to pass, something as basic as friendship would look like this. Randall Simmons, Jake McIntyre. Based on your government-mandated social preferences tests, you are both required to spend the next three hours socializing in room 17C. Make your way there now. Man, it's always so weird meeting new people this way. I hope this Jake guy is cool. Oh, hey, you must be Randall. Nice to meet you, my dude. Hey, Jake. Nice to meet you, too. Uh, anyway, let's take a look at our hangout itinerary. Well, looks like for our first ten minutes, we're both required to smoke a joint. You a fan of Herb? Uh, dude, who doesn't like weed? I mean, ten minutes is a little rush to get through a joint, but I'm sure my lungs will be fine. It definitely helps that this government-mandated stuff is primo-grade. Oh. So, what else have we got on there? <coughs> Looks like we both need to finish a six-pack while we're here. Uh, you want the IPA or the blonde ale? Mm, uh, if you're good either way, I think I'll take the blonde. Oh, an hour of Mario Kart, then three episodes of Futurama after that? Sounds fun to me. Oh, I love Futurama! I mean, honestly, I was rather hoping to watch the IT crowd today, but rules are rules. After that, it looks like we just spend the last bit of time shooting the shit. Oh, man. IT Crowd is a really good show. You know, I wish... Dude, dude, movies. dude! Save it for the end! You're gonna get us in trouble! Absolutely dreadful! Thankfully, we live in the good old U.S. of A. Let's take a look at how much better we've got things. Ah, shit! I'd better call my buddy Jake and let him know I'll be another few months until I'm able to hang. Randall, what's up, man? Hey, uh, sorry about this, Jake, but I won't be able to get my halo on for a while. My mom just broke her arm, and I need to work a second job to help her with bills until she's recovered. Oh, that blows, dude. Uh, good luck. I guess I'll just find some randos online to play with. Peace. Peace. Sorry again, man. Another win for the Stars and Stripes. Remember that you, not some stuffy red in a fur-trimmed hat, are in charge of your own destiny around here. God bless America. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh... like, in most of... I don't know. Probably not most of... Many of your co-workers, I'm sure, are not Biden supporters. Maybe they're apolitical, and maybe, or maybe they're. We got Trump a few Trumpies on the night crew, yeah. but uh, most of the rest. I'd say that the majority of the people I work with agree with my beliefs in theory, but aren't willing to get committed. Of course, because that's I think where most, I think that's where most Americans land is that they they aren't willing to be committed because what what offer what up to this point what what would convince them right like. What what would convince them that there is a community that they should share in, that they shouldn't just get their bag and get out? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I mean, 
that's exactly exactly it they look at america and say well it's so fucked what's the point of trying to change anything you know anytime any time in history when uh, we have tried to change america it hasn't worked so let's just give up this is the, the disease of the last like 30 years maybe longer the type of government we have is a liberal republic it's a republic that serves capital which is of course liberalism is the ideology of capitalism in the last 30 years in particular it feels as though because of you know, you don't get Francis Fukuyama saying it's the end of history before the Soviet Union falls. This is not a, we've all been for the last 30 years conditioned to believe that there is no alternative, that the alternatives that were proposed all failed in their challenges to capitalist bourgeois democracy. There's nothing else that can can rule the earth. And it, it, they're not necessarily wrong at, as of this point. Because capitalism and bourgeois democracy is the dominant system. It's hegemonic. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Because of the constantly uh, dropping standards of living, the constantly shittier and shittier ways that we're forced to live, and because we keep getting in smaller and smaller groups, you know? Like, I used to have more friends. I used to have... I mean, that's more my fault, but the, you know, the groups that we're, we're in are shrinking because we're stuck on being more and more divided into our little habits of going and working at Uber or going to our job and becoming more and more a cog in these jobs instead of becoming a person who performs a function but also has a life outside of it. Well, I'm a victim to that myself. I mean, I, yeah. I've multiple times I've said, you know, I really I deserve better than this place, but I've I don't have the gumption to go actually get a new job because I'm worried that if I get a new job, it'll be at minimum wage. And I certainly am not I don't have the motivation or the will to do like a trade or something like that. So, well, and who has the ability to leave and do a uh, trade or leave and go to college if you're that foolish? Uh, me being that guy, I'm just that <laughs> fucking stupid to go to I college. Mean, but at least. I don't know. You, you, you make slightly better money for all the time you put in. Now, granted, when you factor out the money you've lost being at college. You know. Right. Yeah. Thank fuck. You know what? Like, as an aside, thank fuck I'm not paying my student loans right now. That would suck. I, yeah, they got me paying them again since I didn't finish. What? That's the, that, that's the hilarious thing. If you didn't finish college, then you had to start repaying your student loans uh, six months earlier than everybody else. What the fuck? It's capital. I don't, I, I don't know. I, my payments are like. 60 something dollars a month so it's very tiny That's but at, at this rate according to the interest i'll have it paid off by the time i am 71 it's okay i intend to i i, I intend to world. never finish paying my student loans whether i die and don't have any family because i'm not having any kids you know so whether i die and they just go into the ether or whether they actually at some point get their shit together and forgive student loans yeah that I, I have no intention of ever finishing paying them off and my mother berated me for that she actually said i'm, I'm abusing the fine colleges of this country huh. trying to steal their money abusing the fine colleges she gave me a big speech about how like you know you need to pay those student loans back those colleges that rely on that money to function no they You're don't being they get millions <laughs> and millions in grants they're fucking just bleeding people dry because we're all convinced that we need to build these stupid resumes when all of the shit that i do at these stupid jobs that i've been required to get a goddamn college degree is move shit around in a computer and that's it it's not an important job it's not a hard job the important jobs never require a fucking degree it bothers the fuck out of me when people do that sort of shit my father, in the same vein, I had a discussion with him just the other day where he said, well, at least when Biden bombs people, it's in the name of human rights. 
Yep, you know those <laughs> human rights bombings. Oh my god. I hate this so much. And some asshole who I'd never heard. I know a decent amount about politics. How shit works in Congress. How useless that is because it doesn't work. But I didn't know what the fuck a parliamentarian was until they brought that out as an excuse to say, well, we can't do this in a reconciliation bill. We can't allow people to have fucking... $15 a minimum wage. We started demanding that shit in 2011. It's been 10 fucking years. It's nothing. It's nothing now. Oh, it's no, $15 an hour is literally still less than the living wage in most. Yeah. In, like, I live in St. Louis, which is a pretty affordable place to live, and the living wage here, according to the CDC itself, is $16.45 an hour Yeah. for a 40 hour work week. And that's in a cheap-ass city. Yep. Drives me insane when people are like, oh, but your burgers would go up. Okay, so you're saying that a three ninety five burger is more important to you than a fucking person having a house or being able to afford their own three ninety five burger. But also, you oh, look at the countries that do have now. the $15 an hour wage or places like Sweden where it's like $20 an hour. You know, in Sweden, the Crunchwrap Supreme is 15 cents more than it is in America. Because that's what it is. If you actually gave a fuck about the people who were working them, you wouldn't allow these companies to just jack up their prices. It, it, it just gets worse and worse because they take away the idea that you have to provide anything to the people who are working for you and the people who are actually purchasing things from you. Because that's not the point of capitalism. Capitalism doesn't breed innovation. Capitalism doesn't give you anything other than alienation and accumulation. And it's not giving you any accumulation. It's giving the fucking assholes at the top all the accumulation, yeah, all like, the profit. I mean, that's, that's the hilarious thing. Whenever they just bring up, oh, if you raise the minimum wage, it's going to boost the price of the items like no it's gonna mean that the ceo of yum brands isn't making a hundred fucking million a year <laughs> right i feel like i should bleep what i want to say but uh, um say I it and then worst case scenario i'll tell you it might be too controversial i want to that might i mean that might be a bit excessive um you're welcome, <laughs> certainly welcome to leave it in we might just want to say parody satire afterwards but, but yeah i mean uh, social all these social needs and uh familial needs and all those uh sub needs uh needs within that maslow pyramid or whatever maslow hierarchy are definitely very important but there is still one last maslow need that we haven't really touched on in the uh, second tier i'd say and that's literally the uh physiological need for connectivity that the seeking out the cuddle chemical as it were you know getting that oxytocin mm -hmm. yeah it's incredibly important i think people like one of the important things to take from these episodes in particular is not that not essentially that you need to lay the foundation for one before you can go to the next level of your needs all of these needs that we're talking about so far they're what are called deficiency needs right they're needs that we we are lacking something and by creating the the food that we need for our physiological needs while by getting the sleep that we need we can fulfill these deficiencies right they 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 connect with each other the physiological and the psychological and eventually the actualizing needs that we have exist in a continuum that you can't exactly delineate what is the most important. I mean, like, obviously we need to eat. You know, it's very important that we need to eat. Yeah, and breathe. And breathe. But those physiological, the chemicals in our body are also affected and affect our psychological needs. Yeah, and if you're uh, deprived of 
certain physical touches, then your brain will get will deteriorate and not i mean like even for asexual people like myself you know it may not be about the actual you know the actual getting your rocks off quotient it's just you know having that physical touch i mean and you can get it even if you're an aromantic person you know you can get it from friends you know hugs are important yeah. but going specifically to the next level you know most people do desire the actual sexual intimacy and one of the main reasons it's denied to people in our society is because we are so puritanical that if you're a I mean, we, we, you can you can show all the most graphic violence you want on a, on a PG-13 show, but if you show a nipple, then straight to jail. Yeah, you're off to R. I mean, even though it's a, uh, we live in a quote-unquote modern age, we still actively repress uh, sex as an ideology, while, while still making it as tantalizing as possible in our advertising campaigns. Because if you can't make a buck off sex, then heaven forbid you actually mention it. Right, there's like a, a disorder of multiple personalities in capitalism. Because it recognizes what makes money, but it also has to, in the same way that it creates artificial scarcity for your physiological needs, it will create the same kind of artificial scarcity for your psychological needs. It's going to react similarly to any kind of place that it can worm its way into. It's going to create a kind of dual, some people might call it a dialectic, dual powers fighting against each other or opposed to each other that are going to be, that tension's going to be exploited for profit. Yeah, and uh, as long as they can keep making that profit by creating those tensions, they're going to make sure that that tension isn't alleviated by making sex a more, a less taboo topic. Sex work, obviously what I'm most familiar with is the modern not psychology but like the modern uh, zeitgeist about it where it's kind of we've come out of this puritanical bullshit that founded this country and i'm thinking of a uh, uh, of the book caliban's witch where it kind of mentions that in the first throes of capitalism this is the 17th century the burgers are taking over more and more power the the old style of life is disintegrating more and more in that time like that's when women were being burned as witches you know women who previously were just like loners out you know doing the things that help them reproduce their way of life but since they weren't doing that within the agreed upon family unit the the unit that was you know still forming at that point and so people who might be thought of as witches didn't need to live in a family unit like the puritans basically it was about establishing a new social order under capitalism not consciously but you know as the mode of production was changing there was this churn that forced people into new social relationships and women who were previously independent were called witches, you know, a lot of uh, sex workers at the time also ending up being burned at the stakes. You know, these people who lived relatively independent lives were then violently tied to a system of family relations that were specifically tailored to reproduce capitalist production. Well, the funny thing is, like, if you actually look into American history, the only reason the West was able to get founded so effectively and and also get funded quite frankly was because of the sex work industry brothels like built the west hmm you know i have never thought of that well i mean like there's a whole adam ruins everything about it and uh, he'll, he explains it better than i could but long story short basically those institutions existing allowed for money to start flowing in those regions before they were developed and then thus allowing them to become developed. And of course, in a more modern capacity, you know, you look at countries where sex work is very, is legal and uh, places like Amsterdam, where there's also, where there's also a more socialist tilt. And 
those people are actually very happy. I mean, a lot of them like their jobs. You know, it's not for, it's not a necessity for them. It's just, hey, I don't mind having sex, and it's a good way to make extra money. You know, I mean, there's documentaries that'll say both extremes that it's the most evil thing in the world and exp- and so exploitative, and that these are people who actually like the work they do. The system that they have in. Uh the Netherlands is basically one of in order for it to be regulated you have to be in one of the houses in a country as racist and shitty as America not to say that the Netherlands aren't also that but maybe less to the kind of violent extremes that we have although is it Belgium or is it the Netherlands that do that holiday where they all wear blackface I think it's Belgian I honestly am not aware of that yeah they do blackface it's pretty weird just a bunch of shoe polish all over their face. Uh, it's Dutch. So that Dutch. Is, okay. That is uh, that's not great. No. Nope. All right. So they have their own racisms, and I'm sure that not – I didn't see a lot of black women. I didn't see a lot of women of color in the windows. It was mostly white women working. And that's kind of the fear that doing it just decrim, making sure that women don't need, like, pimps to, uh, you know, run the street and keep them safe but also abuse them is a better system than trying to go from what we have now to a centralized regulated system because that will push out some of the more vulnerable uh sex workers i uh, i get that i again I, I mean just like you were saying earlier i uh it's tough to, for us to talk on the issue because for one we have so little exposure to it in america and for two we definitely don't have the credentials to you know speak without potentially offending someone who works in that industry i don't like i've met people who have only fans but that's about the extent of my understanding of sex work and i'm talking purely based on like hypotheticals i don't think i've actually met anyone with the the, any foot in that industry again i mean i've I've seen documentaries on netflix stuff like that you know but it's they're, they're only gonna get you so far compared to talking to a real person Red Scare Media presents If the Ruskies Had Won, Part 6, The Sex Work Industry. Imagine a nightmare world in which our proud, democratic, free market paradise of a country had lost the Cold War to those evil Soviets. In this doomed communist hell, the government would have control of your everyday-to-day affairs. Speaking of affairs, let us take a look at what horrible things would be forced upon us in the world of dangerous prostitution. Hey there, John. Uh, actually, my name's Barry. Oh, is this your first visit? We're legally required to call everyone we meet John. Anyway, I'm your government-issued sex worker. Your screenings came back clean, and the samples that you had to send into the government showed no STIs, and on top of that, your psychological profile didn't raise any red flags. That's a relief. It's good that the old hammer and sickle know I'm not a serial killer. I wasn't sure. <laughs> I know you're new to this, but making jokes is against the rules. In fact, we're not allowed to have any moments that might connect us emotionally. If we do, you'll get dragged away to an internment camp. Wait, really? That's... who would even get us? Him. Uh, why is there an armed policeman in here? Don't mind me. As long as you follow the law, you can pretend I'm not here. It's for my safety, just in case it turns out you are a threat to my well-being. Anyway, your government-issue condom should have arrived yesterday, so why don't you just pop one on? I'll be honest, I'm not sure I can get an erection in these conditions. Could we just talk? Maybe if I get to know you better, it'll feel less awkward. That's strike two, buddy. One more and you're off to prison. Well, can I opt out? Like, normally I wouldn't mind having sex with a beautiful woman, but under these circumstances, I think I'd prefer masturbating. 
No can do. This is what our Soviet leaders demand. Now, harden up and slap on a condom, John. I'm... I'm sorry. This just isn't working for me. All right. It's off to the gulag with you, pal. Wow, that would be awful. Thank goodness we live under the red, white, and blue. Here is that self-same scene in the real America. Hey, baby. I put over a quarter of my life towards making somebody else richer, and I want to use some of my barely existent excess towards purchasing a night of consensual, physical passion. I have very few hang-ups about sex, and am willing to use that character trait towards making money, even if the lack of regulation means every client is a massive risk to my safety and well-being. Then get in the car, babe. We caught you spending your money on something our country deems as unethical. You're both going away for a real long time. That's twice the perversion off the streets, with half the time for awkward conversation. God bless America. I think that people will always want to create something. I think that people will always want to be a part of a community and provide for that community. I think that that's kind of wired into us you know we've been a capitalism's only been around for what like i think you can very generously say like 400 years at least in its current in, in, uh, incarnation well, not even yeah. in its current version in the current version it's only been around for like 50 the neoliberal turn of like the 70s but like capitalism as it exists right now yeah let's give it let's be very generous and say that capitalism's been around for 500 years humans have been creating societies communities for 200,000 more? We, hey. We've been wired to create a world that... What's up? Gronk no invent wheel unless you pay him Barry. <laughs> yes, you're right. Gronk will not create the wheel unless he has some kind of profit motive. Uh, the, 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 the primary motivator of, of humans is not profit. It's, it's not the point. The point is not to create profit. The point is to reproduce the life that you live. And we've done that for hundreds of thousands of years without the capitalist mode of production. And it affects all of us. It's not built into our psychology to sacrifice our labor to create surplus value for some asshole. If a facet of my labor wasn't that I had to continue to have food, like I like the I like the customer service element and I like the fact that I can do a lot of, you know, wearing headphones and kind of being separate. But like I was saying earlier, if I could run for public office, there would be a component of I'm trying to actively help people, you know, but instead of helping them find a product on the shelf, I'm trying to help them have a better life and societal structure. Right. And uh, in terms of the whole, most of the time I can wear headphones, whenever I'm not like actively out there campaigning, a lot of what I'm doing is going to be very, would, would be very focused on planning and uh, a lot of sitting and thinking, you know, a lot of very borderline tedious work, but the work I wouldn't mind doing in the name of the job that I felt I was compelled to do. Unfortunately, it doesn't pay the bills to run for office. Yeah, no. Well, this has gone on. I think. We oh yeah, we, it's a little call. long conversation, but I feel like uh, we, yeah, uh, somewhere in there, there was talk of how the sociological and psychological needs are in in different ways just as important as the physiological ones. Undermines them. Yes, there is nothing sacred to capital, and that includes your well psychological well being and your community. So do your best to take care of your psychological needs. And look out for one another because that's where we need it most. Well, um, and in that in that spirit, we encouraged you all to spread this message: uh, love and solidarity, everyone. Love and solidarity, y'all. We must take back the streets. What they do.